Well, hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Run Out Radio, just what you need to lower your productivity. <laughs> Run Out Radio, we're brought to you by Simonis Cloth, Tiger Products, and Predator Q. So remember, next time you're out to buy a new car, buy one for them, too. I'm Jerry Forsyth, alongside Mike Howerton. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing better. Been uh, had a couple tough weeks, but doing much better right now. Yeah, that... Uh, you had the flu bug. That's fun, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Don't you love having kids come back? <laughs> it's great. Well, it's, back to, it's great to welcome you back to the living. Yeah. Uh, we got a few things to talk about uh, this week. Not too many, I hope, because we've got some great interviews coming up later. Uh, we're going to have Darren Appleton coming up, and we're going to have Mark Griffin coming up, so everybody wants to stick around for those. They've got some pretty inter- interesting things to say. Can I leave off? Because I'm on my way over to Portugal. Yeah, tell us where you're going. Uh, going to the Predator International Tin Ball event, which is going to be in Anadia, Portugal, which is fairly close to Porto, Portugal. That's where I'm flying in. But Predator, of course, has launched this international 10-ball tour, and this is the first European stop, and it's going to be from September the 10th through the 12th. And we're really looking forward to it. It's got uh, 70, more than $70,000 in added money. Or, excuse me, let me rephrase that. It's got $70,000 in prize fund. There's some great players coming, including... Um, well, you, you know all the names. Rodney Morris and Charlie Williams out of the United States. Darren Appleton, Daryl Peach, Imran Majid, Carl Boys. It's coming. Raj Hundahl is going to be there. Fabio Petroni is going to be there. Suke is going to be there. Dorsten Holman is going to be there. Niels Fayen is going to be there. Mika Emin and Marcus Shamat are going to be there. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a great event. I'm really looking forward to being there. And um, it's going to be uh, streamed. Uh, on the Predator uh, website, you can check that out at com, and the 10 is a number. It's not spelled out. So um, Check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. But we've got other stuff coming up, too, as well, right? Yeah. Um, earlier in September, uh, our friends at Matchroom Sports are going to have the World Cup of Pool. And at the time that we are taping this, uh, the press release was put out that announced the teams, uh, a lot of the same names that you had just got done mentioning. Now, the World Cup of Pool is their annual doubles event where each team represents a country. So we have teams like uh, Nils Feyen and Nick Vandenberg, Imran Majid and Darren Appleton, Ralph Suquet and Torsten Homan out of Germany. That's going to be a tough team to beat. Um, Chinahoff and Stepanoff out of Russia. That should be a tough team. Uh, Jasmine Ushan will be teaming up with Martin Kempter out of Austria. Tony Drago and Alex Borg out of Malta. Uh, let's see. We're going to have an all-female team out of Korea with Guy Young Kim and Yunmi Lim. That should be interesting. Um, a couple real powerhouses out of the Philippines. Now, the event will take place in the Philippines. You'll have Dennis Orcoyo and Ronnie Alcano on one team with Efren Reyes and Bustamante on another. Both of those teams are, of course, going to be tough. And coming out of the U.S., we'll have Rodney Morris and Shane Van Boning, the winners from last year. So that'll be exciting. 
that's uh, September 1st through 6th, and all the information will be available online. You can go to matchroompool.com to get uh, more information, or, of course, you can go to AZ Billiards. Uh, on the subject of Shane Van Boning, he got done with his uh, challenge match a couple weeks ago against Scott Frost from out here in Arizona. Um, you know, Scott had a good record against Shane playing on the bar box, but um, the challenge match was not pretty for Scott. Shane, Shane's break really was was working, and his game was working on all cylinders. It, it must be the cue. You know, now that he's playing with the cue tech, it that must have been the difference. But but Shane just pretty Thank much you. had his way with Scott. Now you've seen well, that uh, the next one is going to be John Mora and Oscar Dominguez. That should be an interesting matchup. Yeah, uh, that will be an interesting matchup because both of those guys' uh, games have, uh, you know, they're still on the upswing. They're still getting better, both of them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which one comes out really hot that day. I think for the next challenge match, they should do it on Father's Day, and they should have John Mora and his dad against Shane, or against Oscar and his dad. And that would be interesting. Ooh, that would be interesting. My That's money, a great idea. Yeah, my money is on Family Dominguez in that one. Well, uh, I like uh, uh, any player named Dominguez in just about any event. Because, <laughs> I mean, let's face it, those guys are good. And uh, even though they play with those funny little tips, uh, you know, 8-millimeter or 9-millimeter uh, Q-shaft tips, both of them, um, they sure do play well with them. Hey, before we get too far into details here about, about these things, I do need to mention that about the time people will be listening to this event, we're going to be streaming from Turning Stone. Yeah, we've got a few events coming up that, that we're streaming from. You're going to be at Turning Stone, and then yep. uh, you head off to Portugal. Now, you won't be streaming that, but you'll still be doing commentary there. Yeah, that's going to be streamed by Kazoom for Predator. Okay, and then mid-September, I'm back out on the road. I'll be in Colorado for the WPBA event, and we will be streaming that. Yeah, have you noticed that, that when it comes to the women's event, Mike tends to assign Mike to stream those? Well, that's one of the that's one of the niceties of making up the schedule. <laughs> we need to talk, son. Go ahead. <laughs> um, after that, there's uh, some kind of a little tournament up in Chesapeake, isn't there? I've heard of it. Um, I know I've uh, already rented a car to be there. We can call that one, what, the U.S. Open? May as well, yeah. And then after that, let's see, before the end of the year, there's also Oregon and Florida for the uh, WPBA and Florida for the men. Yep, and at the U.S. Open, we're going to be doing another live scoring page where everybody can just tune to AZ Billiards and come to that scoring page and watch the scores on every table updated rack by rack. They can literally watch the U.S. Open unfold on every table as every nine ball drops will update it on that page. Who's going to handle the uh, the data input and keeping that all up to date? Uh, that would be you. Huh, okay. But, but it's sponsored and it's, it's being made available by uh, Q&Case and we really do appreciate their help. Absolutely. Wouldn't be possible if we didn't have them on board. And in all seriousness, uh, 
I've got some ideas. You know, we got some feedback last year when we did it to the U.S. Open, uh, the the real time scoring, and I've got some things that I I do plan on adding to the code on that to to make it even more fun this year. So, all joking aside, I am looking forward to it. That was a lot of fun last year, and it should be just as much fun this year. Well, if anybody wants to volunteer, by the way, to help with that scoring. <laughs> We can certainly use the help. Jerry at AZ Billiards. There you <laughs> we go. We could use some help. We could use a break. I mean, even for someone who just lets us run to the restroom every once in a while, it'd be great. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. What other news do we have? Um, we're getting ready to talk to Mark Griffin, the uh, uh, national championship series that he runs. They, they held their 14-1 national championship. And that was yep. won by Dan Louie. A um, little bit of controversy over that one. Uh, the tournament ran long. There were some players that, uh, you know, that some matches that ran really long. So by the end of the night, they got ready for the finals. Uh, Dan had already beaten Steve Lipsky bad for the hot seat. And both players agreed when it got down to the last match that they would not play it. I... I think Steve, out of respect for how well Dan was playing, just said, look, uh, I know this is a major title, but but the way Dan has been playing, he's going to win this, uh, and and they let it go at that. Um, you know, it, it was a shame. Yeah, but that showed a lot of class on Lipsky's part. You know what I mean? That showed a ton of class. Absolutely. Um, you, you've got to give, give credit to Dan Louie. Uh, I've never really thought of Dan as a, as a 14-1 player, but... You know, stranger things have happened. I mean, look at uh, Johnny Archer just won the Mez 14-1 event, and I would have never picked him to win a 14-1 event. I mean, don't get me wrong, you could lose a lot of money betting against Johnny in anything. And, you know, we now know from last episode not to bet against him in Pac-Man, but I I just wasn't picking Dan Louie to win the event. Yeah, although I do know Dan as a straight pool player from, from long ago, probably well before you were born. But um, and Johnny Archer, there's a famous story about him. That the first 14-1 event he was ever going to play in, he'd never played 14-1 again uh, before. So he called uh, Nick Varner and said, "Nick, can you give me some lessons in 14-1?" And Nick said, "Sure, come on up." And and Johnny went up to uh, Owensboro for a week and took lessons from Nick. And then in the finals of the straight pool event, he beat Nick for the championship. <laughs> That's perfect. Isn't that great? <laughs> Boy, you could do a lot worse than uh, Nick Varner as your 14-1 coach. Oh, yeah. Yes, you could. Let's see. Real quick, uh, we mentioned Johnny winning the 14-1. Uh, Mika Eminen won the 10-ball event out there at the at the Mez event. Mm-hmm. He beat Rodney Morris right. in the finals. Good to see Rodney getting out there playing again. And... Um, Mika just—he doesn't seem to have have lost a step from last year. I mean, he was—he was playing absolute amazing pool last year, and he seems to be continuing to do it this year. Yeah, just love watching Rodney play. I like everything about his game. Let's see. Well, we'll should s- we uh, get on to the uh, first set of interviews? Well, a um, couple real quick things that I did want to mention before we got before we got to the interviews. Okay. Uh, uh, the World Ten Ball Championship. They announced their dates, November twenty fifth through thirtieth. So, mm-hmm. you want to put that on the calendar? That'll be fun. Um, the shootout at the Sands, which we'll have to ask Mark about here in a little bit. Uh, we know that was canceled. Um, 
story was that there just wasn't enough early sign-up, but I'm sure Mark can shed some more light on that. And, I mean, I always hate to, to end, you know, the, the first segment of a show with, with sad news, but we certainly have uh, the saddest news that, that I've read in quite some time. Uh, uh, Grady Matthews' lovely wife, Randy, passed away. She was in poor health, and she passed away this week. Uh, definitely, definitely sad news. It certainly is. I mean, everyone who knew Randy um, had a friend. I mean, she just, she was friends with everyone. She was such such a, a sweet, just wonderful person. And um, she will definitely be missed. Uh, you're, you're right. And um, a lot of sadness uh, from everyone who knew Randy. And uh, our prayers and our thoughts are with Grady. And uh, hope that he finds the strength to uh, to make it through this time of uh, trial. Okay, well, with that, um, we'll move on to our first interview. We've got uh, a great one for you on the line right now. Uh, we've got Darren Appleton. Well, we told you we had a great guest for you, and indeed we do. We've got Darren Appleton, world number one ranked player. Darren, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jen. How about you? Oh, can't complain, can't complain. What about you, you know, Mike? I'm good. <laughs> you know, Darren, the very first time I, I really came across you personally was in 2006 when you brought a team over from England, and you guys did a pretty good job of dominating the BCA Nationals. You came in second in the teams, then individually you did even better, capturing Masters and Grandmasters titles. That team had you, had Carl Boys, had Mick Hill on it, Seems like everybody on that team now is, is earning their living off of off of playing pool. Did you know it at the time that that's where you were going to be going? Uh, in 2006 was the first real American event we uh, played, uh, especially for me and Mikkel, Carl Boys and Chris Mellon. Uh, but uh, Lee Kendall and Ann Richardson, who also played on the team that year, they had uh, previously played in the Moscone Cup. I think in 1996, Anne Richardson played, and in 1997, Lee Kendall played in the Moscone Cup. Uh, but, uh, but it was pretty new for me, Mikkel, Cowboys, and Chris Mellon, and uh, we really enjoyed the event. Uh, it was like the first American event we'd played, really, on American uh, equipment. And uh, we did really well. And then ever since then, uh, straight after there, the IPT started up. And obviously, the majority of us played on that, and uh, that's that is where it all uh, started, really, for me. Uh, unfortunately, the IPT uh, didn't last too long, but uh, I had the decision then, like, to go back to playing English eight ball or continue to play American pool. And uh, I've been playing English eight ball since the age of fifteen, sixteen years old, so about sixteen years, and. Uh, the game just wasn't going anywhere. There wasn't a lot of money in it, so I needed like another challenge. And I decided, uh, along with uh, the sponsor I had, that uh, I was going to travel the world and uh, see how see how good I could do at American pool. Uh, so I've uh, done I've done better than what than what I thought I would do uh, in a quick in a quick space of time. I imagine. I don't know if you remember this, but at the time I asked you. In fact, you and Carl Boys were standing together, and I said, who's the best player on the team? And you both pointed at Mick Hill and said he is. Yeah, I think uh, at eight ball, uh, Mick Hill's probably been the most successful player, uh, but not always had the right attitude for the game, uh, where like with someone like me, uh, I don't have as much ability as Mick Hill, but 
uh, but mentally are probably stronger than Mikkel and uh, um, me and Mikkel sort of dominated uh, the English eight ball scene for around 10 or 15 years uh, uh, but Mikkel always had more ability than me uh, but I always had like I always felt as if I, were, I had like the mental edge and uh, a little bit more art uh, regarding like putting the work in and uh, travelling and uh, I used to practice a lot more than Mikkel so uh, some players have got to work harder than others. It's a little bit like Ronnie O'Sullivan at snooker. He, he can be a little bit lazy where Steve and Henry, he practices every day. And uh, I suppose it were like a similar sort of thing where Mikkel, when he's on his game, he was probably the best player. Uh, but consistently, I probably had the edge. Uh, but uh, these are any doubt in my mind that uh, at English 8-ball pull, uh, Mikkel's the greatest player ever. We've heard of a number of players who've come over from Europe and, and they've referred to English 8-Ball. Darren, maybe you can you can help our listeners understand what the differences are between English 8-Ball and the 8-Ball that uh, the American players are more familiar with. Yeah, uh, well, for the start, we play uh, different rules. We play to the world, world rules, uh, which is like, and we have a, it's a small table. It's, it's, it's the same same size table as a bar table. Uh, but the pockets are only uh, two two and a half inch uh, wide. Uh, the balls are like uh, two and a quarter uh, big. Uh, so like, and we 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 play with seven reds, seven yellows, and the uh, the uh, eight ball, which is black. Uh, the cue ball is is slightly smaller than object balls, which is a bit strange for you guys. Uh, and uh, it's just completely different rules. Like uh, if you make a foul at English eight ball. The incoming player gets two shots carry. So, like, if he misses a ball, he still gets to stay at the table, which is a—it's uh, not a rule what I've always liked, but uh, but that's the way it is because the pockets are a lot uh, smaller, so the game's a little bit more difficult on a English eight-ball table uh, with the size of the pockets and the size of the balls uh, to what it is on an American bar table because on American bar tables the pockets are pretty generous. Uh, and also we, we play like with uh, snooker style cues. Uh, the average tip size would be around seven to eight eight millimeter tips. So obviously it's a big adjustment coming from English eight ball to going to American pool, playing with the uh, bigger balls, uh, the bigger cues, and uh, just getting used to the cue ball more than anything because uh, it's a lot different to the to the cue ball I played with at, at English eight ball. I would think coming over for the first time um, after playing English 8-ball from your description of the pockets and the balls, you must have thought you'd died and gone to heaven when you got to Vegas and saw those pockets. Well, uh, it was really strange because obviously 8-ball's our uh, main strength. So, uh, so like, playing playing the patterns of the game and the uh, making of the balls, it just seemed impossible to miss a ball. Uh, but, uh, but at the same time, we, we didn't have great control of, of the white ball because... Uh, the tables are a lot quicker because on English eight ball tables we play with knack cloth, so the tables are a lot slower. Uh, but on the uh, American bar tables with Simonis cloth, the tables play really quick. So we had to get so we had to just uh, concentrate on uh, putting the uh, white ball where where we needed to put it. But at the same time, we knew the patterns really well, so we uh, kept the game very simple. But obviously, as time has gone on, I've got better with the cue ball especially for the bigger table, and uh, that is that is the biggest thing what I've had to work on uh, mostly, just to improve my game, and uh, and, it's a, and, it, and it's a different style like uh, uh, queuing as well, where English 8-ball and snooker, 
the players like pause at the back uh, on the uh, back on the uh, back swing, where at American pull out, I think it's very important to pause at the cue ball and then uh, bring it back and through. Uh, where like at snooker and English eight ball, we used to pause at the back and then just go go through, which is a bit more like stabby really. Uh, but American pull, it's very important to have like a nice rhythm to to your cue action because you have to move the cue ball around a lot more at American pool than what you do at English eight ball and snooker. So, uh, and I, I, I also changed my stance as well. Uh, so it, it took me like a, a year to 18 months to, uh, to like adjust properly and, uh, get a lot more consistent with it. And, uh, and just to be able to uh, trust it really when our, like in uh, pressure, in like pressure situations. So after that, uh, as you mentioned, the IPT got started, and that kind of brought out a number of the European players and some of the lesser-known players, at least to the American fans. It brought them into the game. Now, when the IPT stopped holding the big events, it would have been easy just to go back to to what you were doing in the past. I mean, how hard a decision was it to to decide that you were going to to embark on this journey of, of trying to play in these events all over the world. Yeah, uh, so I mean, like when when the IPT started, there was there was about fifteen guys, about fifteen guys from England who applied for the IPT. I, I think maybe seven or eight of us got uh, managed to get a spot on the IPT, uh, which was a dream at the time because we we're all thinking it's really good money. The events were awesome. Uh, we were all really excited. We were, we were all like buying. Uh, tables and getting them uh, shipped over to England uh, we were all in the gym working out practicing every day uh, travelling across the country like to everyone's uh, house like to practice and uh, yeah, it were exciting times uh, and obviously like when we were playing for the money what we were playing for and the likes of me and Mick Hill did, did really well uh, I think I ended up finishing rank number 12, Mick was number 13 Carl Boys were like number 20 or something like that so it were exciting times and then uh, and then we had the problems after Reno about the money, and then uh, Kevin seemed to disappear off the scene for a while, and then uh, we all we all started to worry whether we'd get paid, and uh, we like feared like for the future of the tour itself. And uh, so obviously around Christmas time, uh, I had to make a decision because it was quite obvious that the IPT wasn't going to continue the way it was, uh, and I just didn't have the art. I just didn't have the art and the motivation to go back to English eight ball. I've, I've played on the IPT, which were like a million times bigger, the prestige, the uh, setup of the events, and even uh, away from the IPT, I, I, I went, I went to the World Championships in the Philippines. I went to the US Open in 2006. I, I like finished fifth there on on like my first year there, so that was really good. Uh, but just the old prestigious of it all, the uh, the exposure, uh, the, the setup, uh, the players get getting an ounce for every match. It was just like a million times better than uh, playing English eight ball where we'd play like in like scabby pools, we'd like play in hotels. But there was no like real real buzz about the events. The setups the setup of the arenas wasn't very good. The players didn't get treated very good. So uh I just couldn't go back to that and play like for maybe a couple of thousand dollars to the winner. Where like at least with American pool, there's maybe seven or eight events a year, like the U- U.S. Open, the World Championships, the World Masters, Moscone Cup, and so on. Where like if you do if you do do well, and you're lucky enough to win one of them events, then you can make a pretty like a pretty good wage, and uh, and hopefully like if if you win something big, then you have a better chance to get sponsors, a lot more television, uh, and you manage to get the exposure. So. 
Yeah, so after the IPT, it wasn't really like a big decision to carry on playing American pool uh, than going back to English eight ball. You've but, got but at the same time, you've got to be lucky that uh, you haven't got any ties back home because uh, it's not as hard, it's a lot of hard work. You, you've got to do a lot of travelling. And I decided that uh, that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to I'm going to do it properly and uh, travel the world to uh, try and learn the game. So uh, in 2006, 2007, I I decided uh, with the help of my manager Dave Dave Wright, who uh, who was back me now for the last three or four years, that he was going to send me send me around the world like to uh, play against the best players. Uh, spent a lot of time in the Philippines, spent a lot of time in America at uh, late 2006 and 2007 and uh, just to try and learn the game and uh, just just take it from there really and see how I, I do like for like t- two or three years. So uh, I told myself to give myself two or three years to see where I, I, I uh, can, can get to and what I can achieve and then uh, I always could go back to English 8-ball if I had to in the future uh, but uh, I'm one of these people that... Uh, once I decide that I want to that I want to, to uh, do it, I uh, I uh, give it hundred percent. I'm guessing you're not planning on going back to English eight ball anytime soon. <laughs> I, I hope not. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> obviously, like the last uh, eighteen months, especially, has been uh, it's been a dream really, and I'm still like pinching myself with what I've achieved. And, and when I come back to England now, and I I look at the English eight ball uh, scene, and I, I look at the tables as well. It's really hard to believe that I actually played the game to, to uh, start with, and then uh, I, I aren't I aren't knocking the game and what have you. It's a decent game, and there's a lot of very good players. But uh, it's just really hard to think that uh, I could go back to playing that game. Uh, and the good thing now is, because I'm I'm doing well, a lot of the other guys from English Eight Ball have uh, started to buy the cues, like, and they're going to give it a go themselves. Uh, maybe. Like the next year, Mick Hill's going to start playing American pool around the world. So that's another player who I think is going to do really well. Uh, Carl Boys has managed to get a pretty good sponsor now, so he's like knuckling down now, and he's giving it hundred percent. And then you have got people like uh, Chris Mellin who's a star to playing as well. So there's going to be, in my opinion, uh, in the next year or two, uh, six or seven guys from English eight ball who's going to do a lot of damage in the American pool scene. I'm curious now. In the last year, so much has happened to you, Darren. I mean, you started out by winning the World Ten Ball Championship. <laughs> then you won the U.S. Bar Table Championships in the Ten Ball Division. You won the World Pool Masters. And now you're the number one ranked player in the world. How has the intimidation factor started to work for you? I mean, surely players that you used to play two years ago who were quite comfortable facing you are no longer so comfortable. Yeah, that's a great question, Jerry. It's like uh, in any sport, really, uh, the higher you get up the pecking order and you've got to climb the ladder. It's like when I first started playing, uh, I was I was relatively un- unknown. So, like, players would play against me without any fear or anything like that. And uh, and it's like any other sport, it was a challenge. Uh, I, I've, like, gone from English 8-ball, being, like, one of the best players, if not the best player. The majority of the players would be, like, a little bit frightened to play against me. Uh, where in American pool, the first twelve months, like I felt as if it were me, like uh, having having to like uh, it. Was, it was like a different mindset. It was me, like uh, being like the hunter. Uh, so I was trying to like beat all the scalps and trying to get the scalps. So so like it was a different challenge, and I had to work. I had, I had to work my way back up the ladder uh, to a different game and a, a different sport. 
and then uh, obviously after after I like managed to snap off the world uh, the world ten ball championships. Uh, ever since then, I've like grew. I've grew with a lot more belief in myself, the confidence in me uh, game as well. And uh, what I have noticed, like the last maybe uh, at the start of 2009, is that players are starting to miss a lot more balls against me than what they did in the past. Uh, you definitely start to see that, uh, which obviously helps. But uh, but uh, but at the same time, you've got to earn it. You know what I mean? Like it's like Ralph Suke and Efren Reyes. The when I watch them guys play against weaker players, let's say. Uh, I I see the guys like missing balls balls against them like what what they wouldn't have missed against me at the time let's say so yeah it, it uh, definitely helps and uh, a but a but first and foremost like you got to earn that by uh, by uh, winning titles so uh, I'm uh, very grateful for it you know what I mean and uh, I just hope everyone else keeps uh, dogging balls against me as well. <laughs> Are you going to be playing any uh, major events? Uh, prior to the U.S. Open, U.S. Open is in October. So yeah, uh, we're supposed to play the Europe against Asia uh, at the start of August, but it's been uh, put back now till uh, later in the year because uh, it was supposed to be in uh, Malaysia, uh, but the people right. over there like uh, are a little bit worried about the swine flu, so uh, they've uh, postponed it till later in the year. So like my next tournament now will be the Euro Tour at the middle of August. I'm still in two minds whether I'm going to play in the World Straight Bull uh, in the World Straight Pool Championships in New York, which is straight after the Euro Tour. If I do decide to go, uh, and if I do go to the World Straight Bull, uh, the World Straight Pool Championships, I will go straight from the World Straight Bull Championships to the World World Cup of Pool in the Philippines, uh, where I'm uh, going to be playing Scotch doubles uh, in the World Cup of Pool with uh, Imran Majid. So uh, that will be his next real, real like major title. I think uh, will be the the World Cup of Pool. I think, and then uh, that's like at the start of September. Yeah. Uh, and and then after that we have we have a predator ten ball tournament in Portugal straight after the World Cup of Pool. Uh, and then obviously like uh, you guys know, like because you do a lot of travelling as well, is that from September till December it's really really busy. Darren, um, I think back to the World Ten Ball Championship that you won in the Philippines, and you know there was while the tournament didn't have the Reyes and the Bustamanes of the world. Um, I mean, it was still a very, very, very strong field. And I remember you making a comment right at the beginning of the event that you had somebody who basically wanted to put down any amount of money uh, as a wager on you winning the tournament. And I thought, you know, Darren's a nice guy and he plays pool real well, but he's not going to win this thing. No, it's really weird. Like, I think sometimes you, you uh, can go to an event or and it's more of a case like when I arrived there at the World Ten Ball Championships, I knew uh, two weeks before that I won a, uh, a pretty decent event in England. Uh, but I played near like perfect pull to win that tournament. So like going to the Philippines, uh, my confidence were, were really, really high. Like I felt really good about about my game. And when I arrived at the venue for the players' mean, I just had a feeling about about it. Sometimes it, it's really weird. Like you can turn up to uh, to like uh, an event, and sometimes you you just get that 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 uh, feeling. And uh, that's I I just felt as if I, I was. I was going to do well. I'm, I'm not saying I was going to win it because it's difficult to say like an American pull because you still need a little bit of luck. Uh, but I just felt as if I was going to have like a really good run and I thought if someone's going to beat me, he's got to play out of his skin like to beat me. And yeah, I just played with a lot of confidence and 
I think once once it was really weird. Once once I got to the quarter final, I sort of knew that I was going to win it, uh, even though I didn't play very good in the semi final against Neils. But I managed but I managed to scrape through that match to get to the final. But uh, and usually I'm. Uh, I'm a pretty negative person, like about thinking about winning events. I, I never really, get, I never really go, go around saying that I'm going to win something. But uh, that week, I just had a really good feeling about it. And uh, once, once I got, uh, once I scraped, I scraped past uh, Neil's Fion in the semi-final. I sort of, uh, I knew that I'd play good in the final, uh, but obviously I was playing woo, woo, char, char, ching. It's winner break, so. There wasn't any guarantees of getting enough opportunities to beat him, but uh, I was happy with the way I played in the final. I felt I felt good. But the biggest match during the last sixteen when I beat Kawabata nine uh, eight in the last sixteen uh, at, on the hill hill hill, he had a pretty good chance to beat me, but he but he missed the eight ball. So uh, right. it's like I've always said, like you can play well, but you always need a little bit of luck at the right time. It doesn't matter whether you're Efren Reyes or Bustamante, Pagaline or Shane, Ralph Suke. You always need that little bit of luck to win a tournament, and uh, it happened for me in the last 16, especially against Kawabata. Uh, and then I was, and, and then sort of like when I won that match, because I like got, I uh, got through that match when I really should have got beat. I sort of uh, felt, I felt as if it was my time then to win that event and get really good money. But uh, but the money's nice, but for me to win to win a world championship uh, was like the icing on the cake because I've, I've been playing the game a, a long time. But uh, but I didn't think. Uh, coming to American Pool in 2006 that I'd uh, win a world championship within a couple of years so like to win it within two years of playing the game is uh, it's uh, still very difficult to believe really in the last year and a half you have won events in straight pool nine ball and ten ball you, yeah do you have a favorite game that you prefer to play well my favorite game is ten ball uh, just think I think it, I think it's the majority of the players favorite game but i'm not too sure whether 10 ball can be the future for television though uh, jerry i'm not uh, I, I just think with nine ball it it has got the history even though it's probably like the easiest game and the luckiest game out of of all the disciplines i just think it's the most exciting game to watch for from a viewer's point of view uh, and i don't think uh, we should be like trying to change uh, the games too much like i personally i would like to see us play nine ball all, all the time uh, but maybe just make uh, the game a little bit more difficult. Maybe like breaking the box. And uh, but I'd also like to see because when I used to watch pool when I was younger, uh, like the Moscow and the Cup when it when it were on television, and uh, the World Championships when I didn't play, the players were hitting the break the break shot really really hard. Where like what I've noticed in the last two or three years is that everyone's like soft breaking. You know what I mean? And it's taking a lot of the skill away from the game. I think. Uh, so I, I'd like to get back to the days where, like, you've got to get up and hit the break and uh, maybe tighten the pockets up a little bit. And uh, but also, I, I think uh, the key is to maybe break in the box. Because, uh, like, uh, with nine ball pull, I just think it's got the history with the World Championships and Moscow and the Cup. And you look at the great players from the past, and uh, I don't think we should be trying to change disciplines like just to make the players. Uh, just like to please the players, really. Uh, I think uh, the game should be brought to the spectators more, and uh, nine ball, in my opinion, is the most exciting game for the spectators. That's a very good insight, Darren. If we would just wish you the best of luck, although you don't need it, and uh... yeah, thanks. And uh, I just like to say that uh, the last couple of years, I spent a lot of time in America, and uh, really looking forward to going back there. Uh, I think next. Uh, at 
in December, hopefully, I'll be in the Moscone Cup. So, I, uh, but from December, I'll be in America for about six months. Of of like from December till May, I think I'm I'm going to stay in America. So uh, the people in America are going to see a lot more of me, and uh, just really looking forward to all the events for the rest of the year, and uh, look forward to seeing uh, Mike and Jerry yourselves like in the events. Uh, we see you at the World Symbol or the US Open. You, you will indeed. Yes. Also, if I just uh, just thank me sponsors, uh, Predator Cues and. Uh, uh, for their support for the last couple of years, who've been really good to me, and also uh, I have a new sponsor in the Philippines, uh, LA Cafe, which is a sports bar. Uh, so I just like to thank them and uh, like to thank the people who uh, follow me. And uh, if I've got some fans out there, then uh, thanks a lot. Very good, my friend. Thanks for your time you spent with us, and uh, we will see you soon. Right, cheers, guys. Well, we already had one of the world's most successful pool players interviewed this afternoon. Now we're going to go to one of the world's most successful promoters. We've got Mark Griffin on the line. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, you know, uh, busting my butt as usual, but we're trying, trying to change some things, make things happen. Well, you know, I've, I've noticed you've got more logos than anybody I've ever seen. You've got CSI, NCS, uh, Play BCA. Uh, you're trying to be the logo king? I like alphabet soup. <laughs> I have to, you know, I agree with you. It, it, it is confusing, and, but there's 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 a little bit of logic to it. And uh, when we first took over the pool league, the entity that we created was CSI, which is Q Sports International LLC. Right, and, right. And that that's how it all started. And then, um, but we did everything like doing business as BCA Pool League because that's how everybody knew us. But then we started right. doing all these other projects, and particularly with this new pool league we're starting, which is the USA Pool League. We can't have BCA Pool League sponsors or introduces USA Pool League because it'll really confuse everybody. So uh, we've decided to try to brand everything under the CSI brand because we do independent things too. The Chase Swanson Memorial, there's no mem- nobody, you don't have to be a member of any group to play in that. U.S. Right. Bar Table Championships the NCS, the National Championship Series. So we're not all about a membership-based, like the BCA pooling. So we do... Right. I don't know. It, it is confusing. I apologize to the pool world for being confusing, and I'm not quite sure how to handle it, but I think that uh, in time, people will recognize us as the parent. I look at GM. You know, GM makes Chevrolet, Pontiac, Cadillac. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. You know. Not a problem. Let's talk about some of the stuff you've got coming up here real quick you've got under the uh, NCS banner you've got a nine ball and ten ball national championship coming up September the 3rd through the 7th at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas you've had success with that site before we had one event there the uh, eight ball championship uh, back in March of last year and uh, that is a great venue I mean, the room itself, is, it lends itself to, it's, it's perfect. We have 16 tables in there. There's like 10 feet between them. It's a newly remodeled. The Golden Nugget is a, it's quite the place. If you're not familiar with it, it's, it's very, very classy. They just opened a new 500-room uh, tower. They have like 2,500 rooms down. It's downtown right on Fremont Street. Um, but the eight ball went real well. And the Brandon Schuff won that event, who, by the way, uh, nobody even knew he could play straight pool, but at the our straight pool national championship at uh, Comet Billiards last week, he had the high run of 116 balls. So 
he's turning out to be a pretty well-rounded player. And but we do have the nine ball and the ten ball coming up um, on uh, September third uh, through seventh. And ideally, to make it easier on the players, because a lot of the sa- players are the same, we're eventually going to make it where the eight ball, nine ball, and ten ball are just back to back, just boom, boom, boom. And that way, if a player, they can beat all the transportation costs and make it more player-friendly. And we can also transfer uh, or grant an invitation to the first and second-place winners in all three disciplines, entries into the uh, U.S. Open 10-ball, which is uh, our inaugural event, will be in May in conjunction with the uh, our BCA pooling at the Riviera. That's going to be a pretty good event, I really feel. Well. Let me ask one more question, then I'll let Mike slide in here. Um, your nine ball and ten ball that are coming up here real quick, uh, you've got 64-man fields in both of those events. Are you still running qualifiers for those, or are they already filled up? No, there are. There's still a few qualifiers left, and, and I'll, I'm not going to hide it. We're, we're a little disappointed with some of the way things are turning out. It's just uh, we will be nowhere near a full field. In the eight ball, we uh, and I think it has to do with timing. In the eight ball, we had to... Uh, I think 60 or 61 people qualified, and that was in March. Uh, this event is in September, and it's too hard to coordinate with rooms all over the country in June, July, and August, and early September. Yeah. And I yeah. think it was a scheduling glitch on our part. I think it's a uh, it's hard to get it, for us to get the information out to the players on what is the national championship series, and uh, we're not giving up. We're just going to revamp it a little bit um, because I think that our sport and the different disciplines warrant and deserve a one person that can say, I am the national champion. I don't have to belong to APA, BCA, VNEA. I don't have to belong to any group. All I have to do is win a qualifier, go to the nationals, and win, and I am the national champion. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get there. Um, we just finished the straight pool. We had 23 people at, at our national, and that's uh, that's a tough nut. We haven't done the one pocket. That's the one that's going to be challenging, <laughs> but we're going to do it, and we'll keep plugging away with the uh, eight ball, nine ball, and ten ball. But uh, it's just it's a real great opportunity for a, a basically a no name to perform real well. What's disappointing right. is that the the names haven't been participating. But I think that's an educational situation. They don't understand what it is. Mm-hmm. And we're taking some steps to correct that. So, what I wonder about is is where do you guys go from here? I mean, you guys were running the qualifiers for the eight ball, and then as soon as that got done, you moved into the fourteen one, and and now you're leading up to the eight ball and the nine ball. Do you guys take a step back and and reload, or are you guys going to roll right back into qualifiers for the one pocket or next year's eight ball as soon as this event is done? Pretty much you have to roll back into it. But see, what we're trying to do, the purpose of all this exercise is we're trying to identify 20 or 30 rooms out there that really want to participate. And we're finding that some of the rooms, just it's unfortunate, but they're just not seasoned enough to know how to promote an event in their own room. And it's about the rooms. This is all played on nine-foot tables. Uh, this is about putting people back into pool halls, and you know we can't we can't do any more than promote things, pay the advertising costs, and try to get them in the pool rooms. And then the pool room is supposed to develop from his own player base, 
because this would be quite a treat. I mean, I've owned rooms all, you know, four or five, six rooms at a time, uh, mostly on the West Coast and definitely in Alaska. Um, and it would have been great to have something like this because it's a big deal. You take a guy in Iowa, plays in his pool hall, it's a big deal to go to a, a national championship. Unfortunately, the rooms aren't uh, seeing the value right yet. So um, we're just trying to identify 20, 30, 40 rooms. And if that was the case, then we could provide them with uh, three, four, five, if they wanted to participate in all of them, events a year at minimal cost. But they would get to be known as that's the place for nine-foot national championship tournaments. And that's a feather in a room's cap as far as I'm concerned. It's just going to take a while for that identification to get out there. I don't think the rooms realize what we're trying to do for them. I mean, they think, uh, they, first of all, everybody thinks we're making money off of this thing. We're not. We charge a $100 sanctioning fee. We initially started higher, but at the last few events, it's been $100. And for that, we pay the national advertising, print the banners, the posters, and run the national tournament. It's, it's, it's for love of the game, not for money. But we have to get some feeder properties for pool. I mean, you have to get where you start at the local level, you win this, you go to that, and you win that, and you're national level, and you become a pro player. There's no pecking order. And we're trying to establish something like that that's above all the politics a little bit, you know? No membership required, no nothing. Just play pool. Well, I know, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Brandon Schuff won the eight ball, and, and Brandon is has been a pretty well-known regional player for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan Louie won the 14-1, and, you know, there's there's very few fans of the game who aren't familiar with Dan, but you guys haven't seen the participation from the upper echelon U.S. players, the... Nope. The Corys, the Johnnies, the Shanes, the the Jeremys, you know, if we could name names all day. You could name a hundred names, yeah. and we've only seen three of them. Now, You're is right. is that something that bothers you? And if it is, what are you guys doing about it? Well, it does bother me, but it doesn't bother me a tremendous amount. I mean... I, it's an educational process, and but I, I hate to be to the point where we're going to have to start spending full-page ads and all the billiard publications and everything to educate everybody and let them know what this thing is about because, again, this is not a money-making venture. So I hate to spend 20000 advertising to <laughs> tell people what they're supposed to be doing when I, we can't recover it. The bottom line is, is I think the people will find out in time when this becomes getting a little more prestige and when they find out that this is a qualification or an invitational process to get into the U.S. Open 10 ball, which I really feel is going to become a very, very strong tournament, and that's because of where it is and, and, and the event that we're, see, we're sistered up with, which is the World Pool Masters. Um, but we need, to get a, we need to get tougher fields. We need to get more name recognition because I think that will help increase the prestige. I mean, this first year was just all an experiment. You know, and now we've, we're, uh, we're, we've almost been at it a year, and we'll have had, in another couple of weeks, we'll have had four national events. Then we'll reassess and say, all right, what did we do wrong? Because we've done plenty of things wrong, and what are the things that are beyond our control? And we have identified, we've had over 30, uh, over, over 36 or 40 rooms that have held qualifiers. We've also had probably 10 or 15 rooms that tried to hold qualifiers and couldn't pull it off for various reasons, some as petty as a local league operator scheduling tournaments on top of our dates. 
But that's Ooh. the politics. Oh, yes. And uh, I'm not going to mention names, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, this is what's partly wrong with the pool industry. I mean, anybody that does anything, uh, the, other, the rest of the uh, uh, entities in pool look at them as a threat. That's just really short-sighted. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know how to get beyond it, because I've talked to the owners in the past on that type of behavior, and they throw up their arms and say, can't do a thing. Well, you know, uh, it's just, it's just, it's really unacceptable behavior. And, you know, and I believe, I'm a firm believer those things catch you. You know, you, you mistreat people long enough, so you're going to get mistreated yourself. So we're going to keep plugging away. I mean, I'm not going to give up today or tomorrow. If, if we have these same problems five years from now, then everybody will say, do you remember when the NCS was around? <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, I don't have that much pride hooked up on this thing because I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm old enough to where I'm not going to keep banging my head against the wall. But I just, I just firmly believe in the integrity of what we're trying to do. And I think if we can just get over the hump... Um, and we have a national marketing company that's trying to get us some sponsorship, not just for the NCS, but for all of our entities. We've had meetings in the last couple of days with some people that are very interested in doing some things. It's a local company in Las Vegas. So if we, if we could just get, get our feet into a, a sponsorship situation or this or that, it wouldn't take that much to, for this to take off. And that's because this industry is so fractured. You know, it just wouldn't take a lot to make it just really kick off like a rocket. So we're, we're getting all the infrastructure in, and now we'll just have to just keep plugging away. I'm excited about it. I mean, it's a hell of an event. That eight ball thing was probably one of the nicest, smoothest run tournaments I've ever been involved in. The facility was awesome. It had free uh, streaming with the, the Action Report, the TAR guys, and it was just... Um, anybody that was involved in it says, man, this is the nuts. And this was a tremendous event. And that's encouraging. Well, you're never, you've never been one to be afraid of making waves, Mark, and you've made a few lately uh, when you decided to actually read the uh, regulations of the game and enforce the one about the, the Q-tip. Uh, you've taken a little grief about enforcing the rule that tips have to be made of a pliable material which means that phenolic tips cannot be used. Um, yeah. How did you come to that decision? I mean, it's been in the rule book for a long, long time, just that tournament directors never chose to enforce it. We started having a lot of damage. And, you know, and, and that's been, a lot of people have been saying, oh, I've never had damage. I, I'm not convinced, I'm not, I, I'm not sure what's causing the damage. I'm not going to say that, Phenolic tips is the only thing that's causing the damage. First of all, I don't not even really, if you want to know the truth, I don't even to this minute understand completely what a phenolic tip is. But I know it's not leather. So uh, I, I don't have to be concerned with it. We have just made the ruling that, it's, that whatever strikes the ball must be leather. But then you've got people that say, well, this is phenolic and that's G10 and are not the same. But these guys are talking science mumbo-jumbo, and I just don't want to go there. We've only banded on the brake cues. Number one, I've only heard of one instance where a phenolic or similar substance was used on a shooting cue, which I think is just insane if a person does that because it's defeating the whole purpose of friction and English and chalk and everything else. But we, we did not ban jump cue tips. 
My personal right. opinion is they probably should be. But our reason for banning the phenolic tip on a brake cue was because of damage to the cue ball. You can't hit in a jump shot angle or, or uh, stance. You can't dam. You can't hit it hard enough to damage it unless you're just stabbing right through the ball and hitting the cloth. You know. Um, but there's other variables that are really confusing. For instance, and you AZ Billiards, you guys had a couple of great threads on some of your posters. Uh, one fellow from Europe had a dozen pictures of all these little half-moon marks and says, I sent it to Aramis and they won't respond. Then you've got three or four other people say, you know, my old cue ball doesn't do that, but my new cue ball does. Keep in mind that we use in our national events and several of our regional stuff, we use diamond pool tables. makes no difference what kind of pool table, but we use red circle cue ball, which has been the kind of an accepted standard. Um, so people are saying we use cheap cue balls. Not true. We don't normally use the measle ball. We did at one event, but normally we don't. But we had a set of a couple of, of those measle balls gets absolutely destroyed. So it's a combination of uh, uh, a lot of things. But um, when we started looking at it, we realized that you know, phenolic tips do not belong on brake cues in the game of billiards. And um, I've talked to some people that are really knowledgeable, and they start talking hardness in this durometer thing, where 100 is the top hardness. And they'll say, well, red circles are normally around 95 or 96. And they'll say, and this phenolic tip is 95, 96, and G10 is 99. I says, well, hell, why don't you just put steel on the end of it then, you know? Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, there's got, you've got to stop somewhere. Pretty soon we'll have the Mike Howerton titanium barreled, you know, I like it. cue stick, <laughs> you know, and it's just got to quit. I mean, and other people say, oh, no, you've got to keep up with technology. No, you don't. I, I mean, I agree you should keep up with technology, but not to the point where you're using a substance that is harder than the substance you're hitting, not counting the mass of a cue ball hitting a mass of nine or ten balls at the other end. It's just, uh, well, I think it's, it's, and it's, and it's against the rules, which nobody cares about. Well, yeah, not to get into the science of it, but also when you when the Q-tip strikes a cue ball, the Q-tip, no matter what material it's made out of, attempts to compress. And if it does compress, it itself gets harder than it is just sitting there static. True. Um, but we haven't taken as much steam as one would think. There was a few vocal ones saying, well, you know, I'm, nobody's going to tell me what I have to use. And they're looking at it wrong. Nobody's, you know, we're just trying to play within, keep things reasonably standardized. I think the phenolic tips and jump tips and brake tips, they've kind of slid underneath the radar. I mean, it's just, yeah. there's all kinds of, you know, um, they're just, they're just, uh, uh, you know, they, they just have to just get more uh, aware of what these impacts do for the total game. So, um, but we did get a little static on it. We're only enforcing it at our national event in May. Now so you're giving the players time to adjust. Yeah, they got a whole year. We're not doing it at our at our regional events. We're not doing it. We don't care what your league does. We don't care what your state tournament does. We don't care what you do at home. It's it's just similar to our rules. When our BCA pool league, you know, you can play three ball, eight ball, ten ball. You can play on six, seven foot or nine foot tables. But when you come to Vegas. You're playing on seven-foot tables, and you're playing by our rules, which is a scratch tournament. You, most of our leagues are handicapped back at their local level, but 
And it's just, when you come to our tournament in May, you will not be allowed to use phenolic uh, tips on your brake cube. And I think, this is just me talking out loud, I think you're going to find some other people look at this and say, you know, this really is the right decision. And I think in five years, you won't see phenolic tips on anything. But 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 to state the rule more clearly, because I think we may be confusing some people, it's not just that phenolic tips are not allowed. It's that the tip must be leather or fibrous or pliable, correct? I mean, you can't correct. render a concrete tip or a steel tip either. That is correct. So you can't take a leather tip and cover it with nail polish or, yeah, super, glue, right. or, or yeah. super glue. You know, it, the leather has to be contacting the cue ball. And right. and it's just common sense to me. I, I'm sorry, these people they they just want to get they want to they can't see the trees for the forest. You know, I said that backwards, didn't I? Can't see the forest for the trees. And well, and and I wish these people would just get a little more understandable. And 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 so many people make so you know my break so much better with a phenolic tip. I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. I, I'm just it's. Well, no, I mean I think the the, the natural. Resistance, though, comes from that retailer who's sitting there in his store listening to us with a warehouse that's got 150 <laughs> brake cues with phenolic tips on them. I mean, there's. And I really feel badly for that. Interest in this. I feel badly for that. Um, it's not the end of the world. All you do is cut it off and put a new tip on. Now you get in these other ones where they have the where the ferrule and the tip are all one piece. I mean, you right. have to grind it down and, and, and glue a tip on. But even those things are a little, I mean, that's not, it's just, you know, that's hitting with a, it just doesn't seem like that's the proper way that this game's supposed to be played. There's going to be some um, problems enforcing this rule because some smart aleck is going to show up at a tournament with a phenolic tip that's got a one millimeter slice of leather glued to the top of it, and he's going to say he's obeying the rule. I mean, there's always somebody that's trying to take advantage or, or find a way around a rule and, and and they want to stick to the letter of the law rather than the spirit. And I don't know how we're going to handle that either. Have you had any thoughts? Well, at this point, no. But I think maybe some things will evolve. But, uh, um, you know, there's been many groups, DCA, WPA, tried to uh, come up with specs over the years and they haven't been successful in anything, being, being cloth, balls, tables, but maybe this one will. Uh, I know you get a lot of different opinions and a lot of different feelings, and uh, but uh, no. And the short answer is I don't know how it's really going to be enforced, other than we're going to come up with some tests that will say this is a leather tip, even if it means can your fingernail dent it? You know, just a heart, just a well, square of you, you know. I think if you left just left it up to the discretion of the tournament the director, the tournament director knows whether or not the intent of that Q-tip is to obey the rule or to defy the rule. Right, and why I was referring to it as, as us being the tournament director at our national event, because remember, the only event that we're going to enforce this rule is at our May national event, BCA Pool League, and that's at the Riviera in May, and, uh, and we're not going to enforce it in the regionals or the states or anywhere else. But again, right. I firmly believe in... Five years, or maybe shorter, or maybe more. I don't. But I, I don't think you'll see phenolic tips really around. I think it's. I think their days are numbered, and I think it's the appropriate decision. We don't do these things to cause controversy. You know, everybody. You know, tries to think we're just telling everybody how they got to dress. That's not true. There's a reason. 
we were damaging equipment. We try to put, give you the best equipment in the world and, and to play on. And that's one of the few things that we do really well. We do, I know any event that we actually do, the balls are waxed every night. We're not waxed, polished, bad terminology. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, things like that where you, most tournament directors just don't do those things. We do because we feel that this is a game that has to be done with respect. And I'm sorry. That's just, uh, that's just how we feel about it. Gotcha. Now I'm going to change subjects on you. That's fair. Give me, give us an update on the USA Pool League. Well, okay. We're uh, functioning slowly. We don't expect to send. This is not a. This is a. The, the tortoise and the hare. You know, we're a tortoise on mm-hmm. this, and that's intentional. The USA Pool League is a national pool league. It's a national handicap system. It's a proven national handicap system. And we have over 2.4 matches in historical database with over 70% going hill-hill with the system. Um, we're, we're trademarked it as uh, fair play. Um, we, we're, 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 we have, uh, oh, I'm going to say that by the... By the end of October, in that range, we should have about 10 to 12, maybe 14 leagues up and running. Our goal is to have 10,000 players by the end of next year, between 10 and 20,000. Um, it's a match play system. It's an, it is a handicap system. Uh, the league operators get a protected territory, but it is not a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main aspects is Every player will be contributing, and some amateurs just won't want to do this, and that's fine. I'm a firm believer that the only way this sport's going to get anywhere is if the pros support the amateurs and if the amateurs support the pros. Fifty yeah. cents off of every player's weekly dues will go into a an account for use to promote the pros, which doesn't sound like a lot. I have 63,000 players. If I had that system set up on this, I'd have $31,000 a week for the pros. Right. Numbers get pretty big when you start throwing 20 and 30 weeks on top of it. So that's my goal, and uh, we're functioning. We've actually had, uh, in Las Vegas, been our test market. We're on the fourth season, fourth session, I should say. And uh, I think it's going quite well. You know, we're finishing up all the little legal mumble-jumble. We've had attorneys scrambling and writing all kinds of contracts and crap because, unfortunately, you have to do that stuff. But um, I think it's the future of pool. I mean, you can't have all these independent leagues going every which way and the pros starving because if you don't have, I call it hero worship, but if you don't have a kid see Johnny Archer, then you're not going to have another Johnny Archer. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, it, just, it just, you know, I mean, uh, and, and I just, it's it's perplexing to me why... All these other leagues just ignore the pros. and uh, But there's different purposes. Some people play pool strictly for recreation. But that's okay. You play softball for recreation, but you still want to watch the World Series. You know? So, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's not going to be a real fast... We're, we're expecting it's going to be uh, three, four, five years before we have what, it would, what would be called an impact, I think. Mm-hmm. But but the impact to me is a five hundred thousand dollar funded uh, professional tour, right? Right. Generated at fifty cents a, t- <laughs> a whack. So, well, we'd certainly like to see that. 
I'm curious, you know, as as a BCA player myself, you know, BCA pool league player, I'm not all that interested in a handicapped league system. So I'm wondering, who is your target for the USA Pool League? Well, that's interesting. I mean, let me back up a little bit. You say you're not interested in handicapped pool league systems. Well, the the BCA Pool League, the national tournament, is not handicapped. It is a scratch tournament. We have, you know, open master and grandmaster divisions. But 90% of our leagues on the home team back home, they are handicapped. Yeah. So, so, you know, most leagues are handicapped. And the largest league, obviously the APA, is a nationally handicapped system. And their national tournament is handicapped. So I, I think... Uh, I think we have a better mousetrap than the APA or anybody else out there. I think we bring more to the table. I think we care more for the players and the, and the, uh, the uh, standards of the game. And uh, But we're looking for the recreation player, but probably maybe the better recreation player. But, but really, the BCA Pool League is where the best recreation players go. Absolutely. Because, I mean, we have, you know, you take... You just, I don't care how you cut it. We have the best players in our league. We have the most knowledgeable players in our league. We have the most fanatics in our league. So, um, And I'm proud of that. But, um, I mean, are we going to be cherry-picking off the other leagues? Somewhat sure. Are we going to be cherry-picking from ourselves? Somewhat sure. You know, but we have so much we can offer them. I mean, because the U.S. Pool League is a, it's, it's a beginning. It's just starting. But it has the same qualification criteria as our BCA Pool League. Meaning, if you play in the USA Pool League and you play for eight weeks, you can bring a team to our BCA Nationals and participate because we're going to dual sanction with ourselves. But now you'll be playing in a scratch tournament. But we'll know what speed you are because you'll have a real live handicapping and we'll know if you're a master player or an open player, so we'll know where to put you far better than what we know to put you now. So you have, you have the best of both worlds. You can play in a national handicap system and you can still go to the best and the largest national tournament. So I think once it gets some traction, I think it probably will do okay. But again, that's a three- to five-year project. Well, the, the last thing I had, you know, we, we've talked about, uh, you know, a number of of events and things that you've going got going that are pretty successful, and, and it wouldn't be fair if we didn't mention, you know, something that, that hasn't been as successful as uh, I guess had originally planned. Uh, now you guys pulled the plug on this this upcoming event in Reno, right? Yeah, and that was unfortunate. And uh, here's what happened basically: um, Rick Jones, Bad Boys Billiard Productions, has a good working relationship with the folks up at the uh, Sands, and that's a, a you know it's in Reno, and that is a Terribles Casino. Not terrible; it's owned by Terribles. <laughs> you know, that's that's always a funny thing. But anyhow, they're in some financial trouble. I believe they're still in bankruptcy. In fact, I know they are. So, um, And they have to watch their pennies and their dimes, but they still have for over 25 years they have sponsored major league tournaments. You know, they, they did the uh, Sands Regency things for uh, over 25 years. I think they had two of the, those $25,000 added tournaments, nine-foot table events. They have sponsored pool better than any hotel, casino, that I can think of for a longer period of time. I think they've kind of gotten bypassed. I mean, you know, they're still adding the same amount now that they did 20 years ago. But And 
nine-foot players are disappearing and seven-foot players are growing. So they were going to add $15,000, plus there were some expenses they had on top of that. And we do the registration for them. That's part of the deal, and which we do at the U.S. Bar Table Championship, which we do in all the other events. And the sign-ups were just coming in so slowly. And we, we addressed it with them. We were concerned, and it was their decision. Uh, but the, the early sign-ups were just disappointingly low, and they pulled the plug. We agree with what they did because I don't think it's right that they go off for 15 or 20 or 25,000 or whatever it would ever be when it's all over and done with so 100 people can have a good time. They're in it to make money, but they're in it to support the sport. And uh, we're going to come back and they're going to take another swing at it. But again, I'm going to say that it's the dates were too early. When I was in Alaska... You couldn't. You could have naked women racking free pool time on the tables, and nobody come in because they're all fishing during the summer. You couldn't. You couldn't get them in the pool halls. But I thought it was more of a because Alaska is summer winter. But to me, pool. I, I should have known better. But to me, pool follows the school year, and I think with the economy as it is and everything else, I think that's becoming more and more evident. That's the reason I think. I think. I don't know. This might not be the reason, but I think that's the reason why we're having the problems with the 9 and 10 ball national qualifier system, the NCS. You know, plus there's other issues, but I think that's the major one because it's too hard for rooms to get things going during the summer and early fall. And I think that that was kind of the problem at the uh, shootout at the Sands. I also believe there was some confusion that uh, many people did not realize that the December event at the Sands has been canceled. has been for since last December, but um, the promoter didn't pull the, didn't, never pulled the, uh, the dates from all the different pool calendars and everything. So people were thinking, oh, I can't go to the Sands three times a year. Well, there wasn't a third time to go to. <laughs> it's just the U.S. Bar Table Championship and the shootout. We kept hearing from people, I can't go to this one. I'm going to go to December. We say, well, there isn't one in December. It's just, really? So that was a, I think that could have had a 10% factor in there, but the factor, the real big one is it's just too early in the season with the economy as it is. But the Sands, I will still spot, uh, uh, support the Sands as much as possible because they support the industry. It's unfortunate, but you know, I'd rather lo- I'd rather pull the plug and disappoint. I mean, really, and, and in all honesty, we didn't have 50 people signed up for all the events. But now we and we heard pe- people come. Oh man, I wish we were going to come. We we're going to sign up on site. Well, you know, people got to understand the hotels can't book on, you know, what you're going to do on site. Just please plan ahead and let people know so things don't get canceled. I mean, so that's that's where she lays. Well, Mark, we sure appreciate you joining us. Um, we always enjoy talking to you. In fact, we're going to talk to you just a little bit more after this uh, interview is over, so don't go anywhere. But, no, that's um, fine. I'll, I'll be here. But And, and I, I appreciate you guys giving me a call. I wish I'm not really too together right now because i got a couple things in my head that I can't discuss. But I, I, you know, I know people think pools in the dumps, and we're not doing all that great. But I, I see, a, I see light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not a very bright light, but it's there. So I don't know. I, I just really wish that, and maybe some of the people that listen to these things, uh, on your, you know, that they, if they give me a call and we can set some discussions up with the different league owners and operators, and you know. There's 40 million people play this game. There's probably 
a thousand promoters, uh, you know, the, the different tours or the different thises or thats, that if we could just, you know, get together once a year at one of the, the expo or it's a Hopkins thing or it's a my event or whatever and have some intelligent discussion and the people that don't want to work with anybody, just tell them to get the hell out of the room. You know? And, and, but let's make something happen because this is really frustrating because sometimes I feel like I'm the lone ranger out here. You know? Not that you have an opinion. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't, you don't, you know, when you're out in the field and you see some of the petty things that some of the people in the same industry as you do, it's just ludicrous. Right. You know, I don't see right. Chevrolet calling the Ford dealer down the street a crook. And I don't see him, you know, uh, and, and just some of the things that these people do are just, it's so childish. So be it. I guess they so everybody has to do what they, you know. That's all I have well, to say, for, sir. For right now, we've got to sign off from the radio audience, although we'll be right back with the rest of the show. Well, it was good talking to those two. Darren, you know. <laughs> He's always a riot. I love that guy's sense of humor and just his outlook on life. And uh, Mark, you know, he just tells it like it is. He, he's never pulled a punch in his life. So uh, enjoyed those two interviews. Uh, Mike, I've enjoyed the show. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. Looking forward to the next one. Well, and that'll be coming up whenever something of interest happens. In the meantime, I do need everyone to remember that... Uh, this run-out radio would not be possible without Tiger Products and Simona's Cloth and Predator Cues, so please treat those folks kindly. Until we uh, talk to you again, everybody have good luck, have a bunch of good rolls, and shoot well. We'll see you down the road. Bye-bye. <laughs>